Welcome to Entrepreneur Minds Speak. I'm Lauren, owner of Creme de Mint, a branding and packaging design agency that specializes in beauty, food, and supplement product businesses. And today I'm honored to introduce Laura Lorber, a community mediator. She has studied at the University of San Diego and received additional training through the National Conflict Resolution Center. Laura began her career in conflict management and mediation in the environmental realm but fell in love with helping people communicate and advocate for themselves and their communities. She focuses on helping small businesses, families, and community members resolve conflicts such as boundary setting, reunification, decisions on divorce, elder care, landlord tenant, contractor client, and more. Thank you for joining us today, Laura. We are excited to hear what you have to share on how to master tough business conversations. Thank you and take it away, Laura. Navigating the storm, mastering tough business communications. So um, I just like to share just different ways of communicating and techniques. And so we're going to be talking through a few things today. So the number one trick for diffusing conflict is active listening and reflecting back. So um, it's funny I say this as one thing when it's two things, but the reason why is because it's a cycle. So what you want to do is listen actively, reflect back. Did I get it right? No, active listen, reflect back. So what does that mean? That means that when you do active listening, what you're trying to do is you're trying to listen truly to the words the other person is saying. You are trying to eliminate the stories that are going on in your own head. You're trying not to set up your defenses and your comebacks. You're really trying to silence your mind and really hone in on what they're saying. Now, you don't wanna lose what you want to say, so you can scribble yourself little notes if you need to or whatnot, but you're not interrupting them. You're really just giving them the gift of truly listening. And then you're showing them the gift by reflecting back. And that's exactly what it is. It's, I'm not agreeing with you. I'm not reinforcing your reality. I'm just saying, I hear that you are saying this and that makes you feel like that. Did I get it right? And um, so why do we do this? Because if we're in conflict, you know, it's really important that we get heard too. Um, we don't wanna lose what's important to us. But if somebody is really stuck and they just keep going back to the same thing or getting, or their voice starts increasing and they're just not letting the conversation move forward, then in order to move forward, you have to stop and just give them the gift and give them the space and let them get it out. And there'll be time for you to make your points and to, uh, get your needs met. But if they're so high up in conflict that they can't listen to you and all they can do is either yell or say the same thing over and over and over again, this is when you want to start the cycle of active listening and reflecting back. Does anybody have any questions about how to do this? I would love to ask a question just so I make sure that I'm fully tracking. So this would come after you obviously present the thing that's difficult to say, right? So like you bring up the subject 
um, and then they have a reaction to that. And then you go into the active listening. So well, do I have that right? It could be that, or it could be if somebody calls you or comes into your office or Zoom room and they're all agitated and everything. Whenever a conflict um, perks up, before you go into like, let me fix this for you, or let me defend myself from you. Let me just make sure that I understand exactly what your issue is. Mm -hmm. um, and once you can really understand, and it also gives you time, right? So if you're calming them down and you're making sure they feel heard, then you're getting better insight into where they're at. You're walking them to a place where they feel like they can field questions for you um, because they're not so activated that they can't, they can just yell at you or whatever it is. Um, yeah. So I thought, um, does anybody want to try to do this with me? Any takers? If I have an example of a situation, I could role play. Yeah, so I'll just, I'll tell you uh, something and then you reflect back. Um, you try to listen to me without editorializing what I'm saying. And, and then we, um, and then we just try it. Okay. All right, so let me think of a um, scenario. So I have this very funny dog, Puddles, who is my wild man. And his, um, his one year adoption is coming up at the end of the month. And so I'm trying to decide whether or not to, uh, to make homemade dog biscuits to take to the dog park because on the one hand I want to celebrate this but on the other hand I'm a little bit worried that all the other dogs are going to go crazy because we're handing out food at the dog park mm -hmm. yeah so what did you hear so what I'm hearing is you want to create a celebration for your own pup but you don't want the demand to overrun your supply and for the um all the dogs to be super excited about the treats that you're bringing and have to deal with the dogs energy as well as sorting out all this stuff about the owners did I hear that right almost I think you added the section about supply um I wonder what I said that made you go there. Because if so many, if so many, do if so many dogs, or if there's going to be so many dogs that are interested, maybe the concern is that you don't have enough. If it's like a public dog park, you see what I'm saying? Okay, that's a good point. Because I'm thinking about many of the dog parks that I know, and there could be there's there's so much um dog traffic instead of foot traffic but there's so much dog traffic in those specific parts and usually when bringing snacks you kind of have a little bit of a ballpark of okay this is how many I need to make but that doesn't appear to be the case okay so I know that was a thank you Katie that was great so that was a very low I didn't even like throw a conflict in there 
but mm -hmm. um but it just gave you a sense of um I left it open for her to ask a question I could have been played nasty and said I didn't say that you know why did you add that in there and that's probably what I should have done and then that would have been Katie's cue to go oh well I heard this can you please say it again and then you just do it again and then you go okay so this is what I'm hearing and so one of the things, the biggest reason to do this is to bring down the conflict, but the other reason is so that you truly understand what the conflict is about. Because sometimes people come with really harebrained things and you don't even know what's going on. And so by just letting them develop their thought process without you, know, you getting defensive and you getting attacked, um, you getting defensive and them getting attacked, you're really giving them this gift which is your gift because you're diffusing the situation and you're getting to really understand it. So um, unless there's another question, I'm gonna move on to the next slide. So something that um, I'm kind of passionate about is um, apologies. So I was listening to Esther Perel yesterday. I don't know if any of you listen to her podcast, but I love to listen. She's a um, she's a therapist, and she does podcasts where she lets you into her um, therapy sessions, and she kind of editorializes them a little bit to help you understand why she went where she went. And she's just a wonderful model for working between parties. And so. Um, she was talking about the division of apologies between I'm sorry for how you feel and whether I'm taking responsibility. And somehow in our culture, we have conflated the two. And I was thinking while I was listening to her, like I heard at one point that the Inuit language has like 27 different descriptions for, the, for snow all the different textures and lights and all this stuff. And how do we have, we have two words for apologizing. We have, I'm sorry, and I apologize. And um, it makes it very scary to apologize, especially in this very litigious society. Um, but what I've noticed when I do um, legal cases where the person, um, bringing the lawsuit really needs an apology and the person who is on the defense side won't give it or won't give a sincere apology for whatever reason and the more emotional that the the plaintiff the claimant gets the less willing the defendant is to apologize and the higher the ask for the money and it's just like this little cycle until they get the actual heartfelt apology. And then sometimes the lawsuits dropped. Sometimes we just stay at that money level. But um, I just think that it's really important to be able to apologize without taking ownership. And the way to do that is just to make it very, very specific. You know, I'm sorry that you feel the way you do. I see how upset you are. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry that you went through that experience. It's not, I'm sorry. It's not, 
I apologize for my actions. It's just, I see you and I hear you and I'm sorry that you're experiencing that. Um, and then the other thing is that sometimes people kind of like walk through this. Okay, I know you need an apology. Fine. I'm sorry that you had that experience. And do you think that helps people like feel heard and seen and get resolution? No. So again, this is where if you do that active listening and reflecting back, you can use that to, to tailor the apology, make it as specific as necessary so that you're only apologizing for what they're experiencing. Um, and that way, you know, heaven forbid, it gets out into the public, you can say, yeah, I apologize for the way that they felt. I did not take ownership for causing them to feel that way. But, you know, it's unfortunate that that's how they felt. So um, one thing I use more and more, and this one is tailored to, um, to businesses, but there has to be a way to keep things objective. And I find the best way to do that is to go through, you know, the, the visioning process, have standard ways of operating, have your, have your business plan with your mission, mission statement and your, um, and your, your, find out, you know, what your why is. And what this does is now when you have a conflict with a business partner or with somebody that you're working with, instead of getting personal, you can say like, hey, remember when we said that the reason why we're doing this is X, Y, Z? Um, do you think that's really, is this really fulfilling that? Remember when we said this, like, does this fit in here or does this fit in here? Something I didn't add on to this, um, to these bubbles is even coming up with really clear roles. So I have a, um, a grocery store and wine shop in New York and there's three, um, three owners across three countries and uh, several time zones. And so some of them work in the shop and some of them, of course, is just keeping track through the app and whatnot. And so one thing that we came up with that we needed to do is to clearly outline, okay, so you have this role as um, a business owner and you have this role as a business manager. So where do they intersect and how can we tease them out? And so now when we're trying to figure out like, what hat are you wearing? How are you responding to this? How are you gonna get compensated for this work? Then we can really refer back to, okay, this is the role as an owner and this is the role as a manager and you know, putting up those boundaries and being really clear about how things work. Um, I don't know if you know uh, SCORE, it's the um, Small Business Administration's website, but they have amazing free templates. And down here is um, their business plan template. And if you go into the business plan template, it has all these different worksheets and 
you know, all sorts of things to work through. So if you're looking for ideas how to do that, um, so you can just do score.org, but this is the actual uh, template. So now we'll get into high conflict individuals. So these are those individuals where you've worked with them a little bit, you're starting to see a pattern of them escalating and um, it might be the kind of thing where if you say the wrong thing to them, then they're gonna blast it out on Facebook and tell everybody how bad you are, or they're gonna immediately go and go to a dinner party where you know the same people and just be like, I can't believe blah, 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 blah. And they're just, and no matter what you say, it's gonna get twisted around and you're gonna look bad and nothing good is gonna come of it. So um, Bill Eddy of the High Conflict Institute, he's actually here in San Diego. Um, he came up with this system called BIF. So I'll walk you through it, but I just wanna say again, like the active listening, these are techniques to bring down conflict. They're not the techniques to get yourself heard. They're, they're the techniques to stop the conflict, make sure the critical information is being shared. And then when things are quieter, that's when you can come back and have the conversation. So I say that because um, the whole time reading this book, Beth, I just kept going, but what about me? Like, I get that this is how I handle other people, but what about my needs? And I'm upset. And this is where, like, really, you just don't say anything because anything you're going to say is going to blow up. And you just need to shut them down and move on. Um, so uh, Bill Eddy has a whole uh, website, the High Conflict Institute, and, um, and you can go check that out. Um, I, what I was gonna do was take an example for you guys and run it through ChatGPT with you and see, you know, and show you a Biff answer, but yay for us, ChatGPT can't do Biff answers. So um, I played with it quite a bit and uh, it doesn't work. So the number one thing that um, Bill Eddy says is, as, is always have somebody else review your um, response to make sure it meets these four things. Is it brief, informative, friendly, and firm? So by brief, you wanna keep your responses very short. No more than five sentences is ideal. And the point is to inform them, not have anything in there that could be triggering to them. Informative, this is just the facts. No elaboration, no excuses, no this is why, um, just the facts. If there are no facts because it is personal, talk about something related to the subject matter. So don't talk about what they're talking about, talk, talk about something kind of adjacent to that. No opinions, no defenses. Friendly, this is the hard part. 
You want to start or end with something banal. Thank you for your opinion. I hope you have a good summer. The point is here that you're kind of smoothing into this or smoothing out of it and leaving them with kind of a something nice feeling and firm. The goal of many BIF responses is to end the conversation, so disengage from a potentially high conflict situation. If you need something from them, let them know exactly what you need, by what time and date, and the consequences you're prepared to take if you don't have it by then. So this, this part, this firm part, is where you build the accountability. Like, I need this information from you. This is all I need. I'm going to expect it on my desk by so-and-so. And, -so. and um, so that's where you go from there. Any questions on those four things? I think for the friendly part, um, I, I think that taking the shame out of it would be um, a good place to go and they, because I think that sometimes when people get into um, conflict they do personal attacks and they would say things like you're a bad friend or you're a bad person and stuff like that and there's a big difference between you are bad versus your you made a poor choice but at the end of the day I still care about you or at the end of the day we're still working together, we're good, we'll get through this. I just need some space to sort out how I feel and then we'll regroup. Right, so I think that's, that's right on the dot, Katie. This is not, this is a relationship that you still have to work with. Um, mm -hmm. So you're not ending it, you're just, right. you're just saying, hey, let's, let's have a conversation. Yeah, taking this- But I'm, but I'm gonna be in control. Right. Taking the shame out of it's important for on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so here is my example. The client has a limited budget and asks you to make a web page for them. They insist on using a color palette that you know lacks harmony and is jarring. They have also told you that they have already had that they already have a FAQ page and do not need your help. Then they submitted their FAQ page, which was full of errors. You post the FAQ page as is, along with the rest of the website. The client writes to you about how ugly the website is and how it is full of spelling errors. They are angry with you, tell you that, they, that they've wasted the limited budget they have on you, and now are worried that they want, and now you are worried that they want their money back or will leave you a bad review. So, um, so anyone want to take a stab at trying to respond to this? You can write it in the text if that's easier. I mean, I definitely know how I would want to handle that. I, I don't know what your um, feeling about this is, but I have a, um, a datum that I've kind of worked with in when I get an email or a written um, communication like this, I have um, kind of an instinct that live communication might be 
better than trying to email them back? How do you feel in regards to that? Obviously in your prompt, you're specifically asking for a written, but I just thought I'd throw that in there. I know that a lot of the times um, things I find can diffuse really fast with a phone call or a Zoom call where you can have a bit more empathy and stuff like that. Um, and usually whatever the confusion is can go down really quick that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point that if you feel comfortable calling them up, but I think that you should still have your BIF response written up um, because you don't want to, it helps you maintain your barriers. Yeah. It, it helps you apologize in the right way. Um, oh, that's true. Yeah. Because also you can forget sometimes if they're like, you forget your points. I've definitely had that happened where like, I'm like, oh, let me call them to clarify this. And then they have whatever upset. And then you forget what you even wanted to say. Right. Yeah. So you want to, you want to have it planned out at least, but right. I think you're absolutely right. I have a little list. I sometimes send clients about things to do and don't do in conflict. And one of my top things is don't text. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I so agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Things get really weird when you start texting people back and forth. Totally. It can wow. get totally off the wall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So here is, here's my stab at a, at a Biff response. And you guys can critique this because I haven't had anybody else look at it. Dear client, I reviewed the web page for spelling errors and found one from our team. The other errors were in the work submitted by you. We had agreed that I would not be editing your submitted work to bring down the cost of the design. Have a great evening, Laura. So what do you think? Did I get it right? I think it sounds great, except I would say maybe like that apology thing that you were saying where you're acknowledging their feeling, like I feel like that would definitely help in this case, you know, whether you're only apologizing, apologizing for the one that was yours or just acknowledging that that can be very upsetting. Um, but I love that you also mentioned we agreed on not editing the work to bring down the cost. So it also shows that like, that's a very real responsibility that was agreed upon ahead of time that lies with the client, you know? So I feel like that balance between if there was like a little apology, but then like that, I think is super good. Cause it's like, oh yeah, that you guys are basically agreeing to help us despite our budget actually being too low for you to do your full thing. Um, so I feel like that kind of helps keep the balance and the control with you as the, the service provider. Thank you. Anybody else? I think I would add um, right before that we had agreed, um, I would probably add that I I acknowledge that this that seeing the errors on the website um, may have been shocking or may have been difficult. However, we had agreed. I would just I would just have a little bit of acknowledgement of like I understand 
that may have come across as shocking. Um, but however, we had agreed. Okay. Yeah, that's that acknowledging or a specific apology piece. You're right. Very good. So is So that is kind of it. Um, so here is my contact information. And also Lauren is gonna um, throw in other ways to get a hold of me. But um, I think we have some time. So if there's anything that I can help you workshop, um, I'd be happy to do that now. Anybody has any specific questions? Yeah, like even from the last example, that was the uh, the client wasn't happy with the color palette also, but you didn't mention it in the reply. So the question is, do we need to address every everything in our response? Uh, it's always the question for me. Do I even need to address this? I would say um, maybe leave it out, but be ready if they come back and say, you know, because you want to, the real issue in this was the spelling errors. Um, and so just address the big things. You can throw in something. Well, you kind of want to shut down conversation at that point. So I would let them bring up the, if it's like little tiny details and, you know, just, just address the biggest things. Um, or when we're mediating, we might like, you know, depending on the relationship, now I'm making it more complicated when the point was supposed to be less complicated, but you might want to use your knowledge of the situation to be, um, uh, do you want to address something that is easy with them because they're very hard to talk with? Do you want to address the thing that seems to be most important? Um, or do you just want to address the high level issues? Does that make it any sense or did I just complicate everything? I think it made total sense. Okay. Always situational. Yeah. It's like the best answer to everything, right? It depends. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> right? <laughs> I have a question too. Um, if like, since you're obviously confronting um, kind of tougher conversations or help guiding them a lot, sometimes I feel like if there's a difficult conversation that I have to have with client, most of the time in my um, work where I feel like this practice would help would be, um, you know, for example, with scope creep, you know, like, let's say I have a project and it starts going out of bounds. And I, I have a tendency to always want to try and go, you know, as far as I can for clients. Um, and I just have like the tendency to want to please and whatever. Um, and sometimes that ends up, of course, going too far to a point where it doesn't make sense. So that would be an example of kind of a difficult 
um, conversation that I would have to strike up with a client, right? Where I have to be like, hey, listen, so this was our original scope. This is where we're heading. Um, we need to make a decision here. And I find that I've been able to handle those kinds of communications relatively well, but I get like tremendously nervous beforehand and like anxious about it. And like, I'll like think about it way too much and like come up with all kinds of conversations in my head at times when I should be like sleeping or whatever. Um, is there anything that you advise in regards to that? Like maybe some kind of exercises or something that, that you could do, um, you know, ahead of a call like that or a conversation like that, that maybe would help with those kinds of nerves. Cause I've even had it where like, I get so nervous that like I'll, when, by the time I get them on the phone and I'm actually having the conversation, I end up pacing around so much that I make myself out of breath, which makes the conversation worse. Cause then I'm like, <laughs> I totally empathize. I hear you very much. Um, one of the things that I've advised clients is to, um, if you're up late at night and you're like, I don't know how to do this is write a bunch of bits. Like mm. have, they're going to say this and I'm going to say this, they're mm. going to say that and I'm going to say this. And then what I was hoping to do, one of the reasons why I wanted to see if chat GPT could do the bits is because, um, I've been on, um, you know, learning opportunities where a mediator showed me how you can have ChatGPT mediate for you. Whoa. And you can say, you, you say, ChatGPT, please, you know, be my mediator. And here's the scenario. And then it'll kind of like spit back, you know, well, now I want to know this. And that makes me curious about that. And so I think if you don't have another person that you feel comfortable or want to put that burden on them, then you can sit there with ChatGPT and just kind of ask them questions. And what I found with ChatGPT with mediation stuff is a lot of it's like very um, textbook and basic, but sometimes that's really good because it's the fundamentals mm -hmm. that you forget about and you just go, oh yeah, I should do that. Oh yeah, I shouldn't say this. And um, so I think just some writing exercises that's a great idea that probably will get it out of your mind too. So it's not just like circling around. Cause I end up having like circular conversations mm -hmm. in my head, just saying the same thing over and over. Right. <laughs> do anyone any good. And then you just, you have your notebook. And so they say this and you go, Oh wait, yeah. okay, this is what I'm going to say. <laughs> oh wait, I knew you were going to say that. This is what I'm going to say. Right. So, oh, yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a great solution. Thank you. Sure. Great question. What else? What? Oh, go ahead, Katie. Sorry. Um, for for uh, like legal stuff, is Chat GPT um safe to use for that kind of that category of conversations with people? Because I'm um I. I'm not I'm not currently in a clinical context, but I have a I have clinical background um, as an addiction counselor, uh, and I'm just and I'm just thinking if 
chat GPT is purely a tool or there needs to be a few extra measures to make sure that like, I guess the other party's okay with chat B GPT being used. Oh, I wouldn't use it to actually mediate a conflict. I, okay. would, I would actually use it just as preparation. Uh, okay. So if you're cool. going into a conflict, it's good exercise. The reason why I wouldn't use it for a conflict is because whatever you put into ChatGPT stays in ChatGPT. Okay. So it becomes part of its database. And so it would actually, it would absolutely keep all the details. Okay. Yeah. I've never used ChatGPT. I'm a little personally freaked out about all of its superpower. Um, so I'm just, I'm just pausing like until I know more or until I learn more about it, um, before I'm comfortable including that in my work or personal life. Yeah. You know, a great way to get comfortable with ChatGPT mm -hmm. and see what it can do is have it summarize an article or um, a book you've read that okay. you know really well, um, because it'll give you a sense of you know, did it get it right? Like at what level is it operating? And you can play with it. Like you can say, mm -hmm. um, you know, do this at a fifth grade level. So usually when okay. I'm doing cases, I'd say, talk to me like I'm a fifth grader. So um, you can do it that way. And okay. what you want to do is you want to break it really fast. Um, okay because then you start seeing the limitations. So I was really lucky that the first time my daughter used ChatGPT, she was reading a book for school and she said, oh, I'm gonna have it summarize the book. And she read it and she was like, whoa, but it's wrong. And so like, it was the biggest blessing ever. But, um, and then something really fun, it's like a party trick is ask it to write a poem. Right. Yeah, it's so funny and crazy. But the way I use it is if I'm writing an article, I might, you know, feed it in there and ask it to edit it. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Cool. Thank you. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, was this helpful? Is there something else that you were hoping to hear today? This was very helpful to me. I, I feel much more um, like, I, I feel like it wasn't a subject that I had a lot of attention on, but warrants attention. Um, you know, it's an important thing to have in, in a business to be able to break the tougher subjects and feel prepared about them and feel like you have some kind of framework to work with. Thank you. Extremely helpful. I'm gonna do biffs um, when my mind is racing about different people issues for sure. Good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it helps to have tools to get us out of our own heads. For sure. Yeah. Okay. And what I find helpful is um, what you mentioned about at the beginning, you say something um, very simple and, and nice. And then you say the stuff in between, and then you say also the nice at the end. I've done that a lot in emails. Yeah. The sandwiching, the sandwiching and also empathizing, like empathizing, um, you know, saying, you know, something very simple, empathizing, then kind of getting into the parts that need to be addressed. 
and then also kind of ending it in a nice way as well. And then really making sure that you don't put in any um, like blaming language. I think that's so important. I know you didn't say it in that way, but it's just like being really, really clear that you're just um, being very objective about how you're talking to them so that it doesn't come across in any type of negative way if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest reason to have somebody else uh, read it before you send it is because you really want to make sure that you didn't put anything in there that is that that they're going to feed on. You don't want to give them, you know, cheese so that they keep coming back and blowing up more and more and more. Great. Well, thank you, Laura. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here today. And thanks everybody else for joining the call. Um, I look forward to seeing you on the next Entrepreneur Mind Speak series.